0: Paul, speaking in first or in Acts 13 and, and in other places throughout the scriptures, David is described this way, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. He's described as a man whose heart was after the Lord. God looked not on what was the outside, but on the inside. And as we talk about that, what does that mean to be a man or woman who have a heart after the Lord? We talk about how it means to have a heart that's in rhythm with God's heart. Because our hearts are not always in rhythm with God's heart. In our sin, in our brokenness, in the way we have used our thoughts, our words, and our deeds to hurt the people around us, our hearts many times are in rhythm with the things of this world or in rhythm with our sinful flesh and we need God to make our heart new again. And Last week we looked at what is that first characteristic of a heart that's in rhythm with God's heart or or a heart that seeks after the Lord and, and that first characteristic is it has a faith that focuses on the power of the promises of God. And sometimes that's really hard because we live in a world filled with giants. And we looked at the story of David and Saul The comparison of David and Saul who stood in the shadow of the giant Goliath. And in the midst of that shadow, Saul, all he could see was Goliath. But David, what he saw was a God who towered over Goliath. And it reminded us that if Jesus defeated the greatest giants of our life, sin, death, and the power of the devil, what good or what power does any other giant have over us? None. And we, as a people of God, even in the midst of the worst and lowest times of our life, can have a faith that focuses on the power of the promises of God. Today we're going to look at the second characteristic of what it means to be a man or woman who have a heart after the Lord in a picture of friendship. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question this morning. And the question I want to ask you this morning is this, what does a friend look like? If you were to describe a friend, a true friend, well, what are some of the characteristics of a true friend? I know we're in a Lutheran church, so sometimes it's hard to respond openly because we're not supposed to talk in church. But I'm asking you to talk, so what are some of the characteristics of a friend? What does a friend look like? Always Always there for you, good. I heard trusting. Honest. Supporting. 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 Okay, I heard caring. I heard there were a couple over here. Non judgmental. I'm going to run out of room there. What else? I heard, what was that? They stay when things get hard, is that, is that what I heard? So, so they're, they're in difficulty, good. They're loving. Forgiving, good, there's a good one. They're generous. Accepting. How about this one? Loyal? Truthful? Good, good. So, and I think we could probably go on and on and on, but I want you to look at this list of these different characteristics of a friend. And I want you to think, how many friends do you have that look like this? And to how many people in your life do you exhibit these characteristics as a friend? Or how many do you exhibit these characteristics perfectly to as a friend. Because the truth is, we have a lot of surface-level friends. I was thinking about that, and, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I noticed that I have over a thousand friends. You know, that, that's pretty awesome. I, I feel very special. I have over a thousand friends. Truth is, Facebook friends really aren't like that, are they? You know, Instagram and Twitter get it a lot better. They don't call them friends. They call them followers. It's really what it is on Facebook, isn't it? not really friends, followers. In fact, sometimes on Facebook, they'll give you that test and that test will say, how well do you know me? And a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking that test. (laughs) because I don't know you that well. Like I knew of you, but I don't know you. That's different, right? To know of someone and to know someone, or it's different to be friends with someone and to be friendly with someone. They're two different things and you and I, we want close friendships. We were built for cro- close friendships. Uh, this is why we love stories of friendships, stories such as Toy Story, right? Buzz and Woody, or Nemo, Marlin and Dory. Like, we love those stories that depict these, these friendships that look, well, a whole lot like that, don't they? Or friendships that look something like that, right? Don't you love that friendship of, of a dog? Like uh, Growing up, I was a dog lover. We had a, a big white German Shepherd named Taffy, and, and that was my relationship with Taffy. I loved that dog. That dog was always there for me. That dog would let me take naps on it. It would fetch me things that I wanted it, which is great. Would always want to play. You know, the dog that stands by the back door and when you get home after an eight-hour day in the office thinks it's been 20 years when they're jumping all over you, right? So my question this morning as we talk about friendship is this, what does it mean to have the heart of a true friend? What does that look like? What is the most important characteristic scripture reveals to us of somebody who has the heart of a true friend? We're going to look at that in what I believe is the most beautiful picture of friendship in all of the scriptures. It's one of my favorite pictures of friendship, one of my favorite stories in the scripture. In fact, this is one of my favorite stories, so much so that when my wife and I started planning a family, we only came up with two boy names. Figure that one out. Five girls later, we finally got to use one of them. That's why our first one is named David, and if we had had a second boy, he would have been named Jonathan. It's my favorite story in Scripture. Because this story should never have taken place. And you're going to see why that is. So, we're going to look at it in 1 Samuel chapter 20. So, if you want to follow along, we'll be in 1 Samuel 20. But I want to give you the background from that in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you remember last weekend, we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Saul in the midst of Goliath and the difference between them. And David is victorious. And in that moment, because David is victorious over the giant in his life, Saul begins to attach David to himself. It's something that Saul did repeatedly. Whenever there was a mighty man of valor, somebody who was successful, Saul would attach them to himself. So in chapter 18, we hear these words. As you're turning to chapter 20, I have 18 on the screen for you. As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. What an amazing description of friendship that is. Now, just as an aside, because some people will take this first verse and they will twist it to try to mean that David and Jonathan's friendship was more than just a friendship but was an ungodly relationship. That's what they will try to turn this friendship into. But for those that try to do it, the Hebrew and the context does not support that. That is not a biblical understanding. It was purely a friendship, an amazing, beautiful friendship. In fact, that word knit, that Jonathan was knit to the soul of David is actually the same word that was used when it talked about how Jacob loved his son Joseph so much that that he gave him that coat of many colors that special coat he loved him that much and so here is Jonathan who sees David and and, and their souls are knit together they are best friends And then it goes on and says, and Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now we're gonna notice this, that there's a difference between Saul and Jonathan. Jonathan seeks to give to David, Saul seeks to take from David. Jonathan seeks to love David, while Saul seeks to use David. It's two different kinds of relationships. And Jonathan is a beautiful act of of friendship and generosity. And in fact, we'll see in verse four here, a foreshadowing of David who will become prince. But again, these are two, two boys, two men, who should not have been friends. They should have been enemies. And the reason for that is this. Jonathan was the son of Saul and Saul was king. And if Jonathan is the son of the king, that makes him prince. And in chapter 16, David was anointed to be the next king. So in order for one of them to take the throne, the other one has to die. They both can't be there for both of them to sit on the throne. One has to die so that the other can ascend to the throne. And there should be an animosity there's these, these boys should be enemies to one another. It would be like an NFL football team that has a quarterback who decides to draft or to pick up in free agency a new quarterback and to raise him up to take the spot of the incumbent quarterback. Would they be friends? Oh, no, animosity. Or it'd be like you working at your job. And you've been working and striving and working and striving and you have the seniority and you've put in the time and the energy and the effort to get the promotion you've been seeking. But all of a sudden the company goes outside of the organization and beyond you to bring somebody else in to train up under you to take your spot. Would you have a friendship with them? No, there would be animosity, wouldn't there be? You're not going to help them. You're not going to allow them to succeed. And you might even undermine them so that you are the one that gets what you feel you rightfully deserve. This is Jonathan. Jonathan should be undermining David at every moment. Because if David succeeds, Jonathan has to die so that David can go to the throne. And yet that's not what Jonathan does. In fact, it says that they, they made a covenant that'll take place a little bit later. What that means is, is they made an oath, an unbreakable oath. In children's language, it's a pinky promise, right? It's that you promise, and when you promise, your word is law, so you can, and that's the promise they have, that, uh, that covenant. So much so in verse 4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor. And even his sword and his bow and his belt, he gives us to David. So when David puts on the robe and the armor and the bow and the belt and the sword, who does David look like? Jonathan. He looks like the prince. Jonathan gives him that which we he will become, prince and king of Israel. It's a foreshadowing of what would take place. And that is the love and friendship of Jonathan love and friendship that is so great that we see in chapter 20 how he saves David's life. In chapter 20, by that time, Saul has this great paranoia, fear and anger against David. In fact, the people have been cheering David on, saying David has killed, or, or Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. and Saul out of paranoia and fear and jealousy decides I need to kill David so the people love me more than him. And David knows about this so it says David flees from Saul and he goes out by himself and Jonathan comes to him and, and David says to Jonathan in chapter 20 what have I done did, did I did I do something to offend Saul am I wrong if I did something wrong tell me because the heart of David says if I did something wrong I'll repent of it ask for forgiveness we'll make this right and we can get back to life as it should be In fact, Jonathan, why does your your dad want to kill me? And Jonathan says, my dad doesn't want to kill me. My dad tells me everything, everything big and everything small. And he will tell me if he wants to kill you and he's not seeking to kill you. But in verse three, David says, well, your father knows well that I have found favor. That word favor we're gonna see is significant in a moment. It's the same word later that is steadfast love. He has found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David knows his life is in jeopardy. And so they decide that they're going to come up with a plan. Jonathan says, so what do you want me to do? And David says, I want you to go and, and, and find out what your dad's going to do. If I come back, if I come back to the, the palace, if, if I come back and live in his presence, is he going to seek to kill me? or are we going to live together in harmony? And in the midst of this, uh, we hear these words. David says, therefore deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. He tells Jonathan, kill me yourself if I'm guilty for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined to my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? The Significant phrase there is that they made a covenant to the Lord. Because in our text, when you read through it, Jonathan was a godly man. It's one of the things that David and Jonathan have in common. Godly men, successful warriors, who follow after the Lord. In fact, when I read 1 Samuel 16 to 31, I always feel most badly for Jonathan. Because Jonathan sought the Lord. And yet because of the sin of the father, which is visited on the children to the third and fourth generation, Jonathan pays for the sin of his father, Saul and the dynasty is removed from Saul. And yet, Jonathan seeks after the Lord. And so in the midst of this, they come up with this, this plan that they're going to enact to find out if, if Saul is seeking his life. And Jonathan says to David in verse 12, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if, it is, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Now that phrase may the Lord be with you will look in a few weeks because it's so significant. It's defining of a characteristic of David. But then he goes on and says this. This is the central message. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Jonathan says, I know the Lord has found favor in you. I know that he is going to make you successful. I know that you're going to ascend to the throne. And when you get to the throne, please don't kill me and please don't kill my family. Because that was the normal practice. If you go to the throne and there is part of the lineage of the old dynasty left behind, you kill that lineage off so that they don't start a rebellion and gather their friends together against you. You you consolidate and solidify your power. He says, make that covenant with me. He says, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, that's the defining characteristic of their friendship is the steadfast love of the Lord. This word in the Hebrew is this word. It's chesed, it's not, it's not a nice H, not a soft H, it's this guttural H, it's, it's, it's that H that comes from, from deep inside, chesed, all right? Just sounds, sounds tough, chesed. In fact, I'm telling you that because you're now gonna say it with me. So in your best guttural from the belly, H that you can manage, we're gonna say this together, chesed, and that was all right. Let's try that again, come on, boldly, like you're cheering on your Packers, okay? So, yeah, there we go, all right. It means steadfast love, loving kindness, covenant loyalty. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, other defining characteristics is, it's vulnerable, sacrificial, it is other focused, not self focused, it's generous, consistent, and I love these words, it's relentless, lavish, and it is committed. It is not an emotional love that shows up one day and leaves the next. It is a love that is lavish. It is committed. It doesn't just show up when it's convenient, when it's easy, when it's simple. But it is committed to saying, I am with you no matter what. I mean, think of the vows of a marriage. I marry you for better or for richer or in or health till. That's that love, isn't it? It's that loyal, steadfast, covenant, lavish, committed love, saying I'm gonna be with you not in the easy times, because anybody can love anybody when it's easy, but I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna love you when it's difficult, when it doesn't help me, when I have to strip myself of my ego and my self-centeredness and I have to lay it all down so that I can show this love to you. This is the love that Jonathan shows to David, a generous love where he gives him everything And when you think about this love, a love that reflects the love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you think about your love, how often does our love look like that love? Because this love in the scriptures, besides in this section, is really a love that's only attached to one person. It's God. This is the love of Jesus. This is the love that he shows so that when we show this love to others, this kind of love to others, they get to experience are drawn into the love that God has shown to you and me. And they get to know God's love through your chesed love towards them. So they go out and enact this plan, David and Jonathan. Jonathan, David hides in the field. Jonathan goes to his dad and says to his uh, dad, Hey, let's have the feast. They have the feast of the new moon. David doesn't show up the first day. Saul goes, oh, he must be unclean, so that he couldn't come to the festival. David doesn't show up the second day. He goes, so where's David? And Jonathan goes, well, he decided to go back to his family, and and he wanted to celebrate a feast with them. And, And Saul's response to Jonathan was anything but loving. He said this, so Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Today's language might be a little different. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And in that moment, he gives Jonathan the out. He says, Jonathan, you want the throne? Jonathan, you want what's yours? Jonathan, you want the promotion? Jonathan, you want all of this? This is your chance. Just tell David, it's okay, come on back. Everything's fine. My dad loves you. I love you. Bring him back and I'll kill him. And you can have what you want. And in that moment, instead of Jonathan going, That's a great idea. I could get what I've wanted the throne. Jonathan goes, What did David do? How does David deserve this? And Saul is angry. He's just so angry. This is the, the sacrificial, other focused, vulnerable love. It says, Saul was so angry angry with Jonathan that he took a spear and he threw it seeking to pin Jonathan against the wall. Jonathan puts his own life in harm's way and Jonathan knows and he he weeps over this and he won't eat and he goes and he leaves and he goes to uh, see David and they enact their plan and he shoots an arrow and and the arrow goes out and he says the arrow is beyond you meaning it's not safe run away. And David and Jonathan embrace for what would be the second to last time that they would ever see one another. But I want you to think about this. What kind of love does it take to love somebody whose success and protection, whose survival and God's favor would mean your demise? And how many of us would love others in that way? But can I tell you, that's the love you already have. Some of you just need to hear this today. You are loved. You are loved by a God who loves you with this chesed love. This unconditional, beautiful love. In order for you to love others in this way, you need to know that you are loved by a God who's given everything for you. In fact, as today, as we celebrate the Reformation, that is one of the most central messages that was rediscovered in the Reformation, is that God loves you with a beautiful love, not because of what you have done, not because of what you have earned, but purely out of the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. And the sin and the brokenness of this world that came through Adam and Eve has broken those beautiful loves and those beautiful relationships as instead we point the finger of blame and and we cast blame on other people and we seek to protect ourselves. But whenever we seek self-protection, we do it at the expense of this love that we are called to show others. We love with this surface level love, wanting to protect self first, but God has loved you with this perfect love. In fact, it's the love we hear about in John 15. Would you read these words with me? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that was Jesus, wasn't it? That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He laid down his life for his friends. And Jonathan lays down his life for his friend. And you and I... If we are called to be a people of God who have a heart after the Lord, we are called to lay down our life with this lavish, unconditional, relentless, generous, all-consuming, loyal love. And imagine if we showed that love to others. Imagine if the characteristic of our love was that since we are fully loved, we can fully love others. Imagine if we would ask this question to other people, not just the, how are you doing? Or hearing someone's story and go, well, well, I'll pray for you, which is good. But has said love goes a step further. It says not just how can I pray for you, but how can I walk with you? How can my life be a blessing to your life? How can I love you as I am fully loved? Imagine if spouses said that to one another. Imagine if parents and children asked that question to one another. Imagine if we asked that of our coworkers, and we asked that of our neighbors and we asked that of the people around us. If we said, you know what, since I am so fully and unconditionally and lavishly loved by God, how can I love you as I am loved by God? And when we do that, we enter into the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the danger of somebody else. But so did Jonathan, didn't he? But that's the love we're called to enter into in other people's lives. A lavish, unconditional chesed, loyal love. So as we as God's people here, continue to seek to be a family, a family that is reaching out in love, we are called to be a people who are fully loved as we fully love others. Some of you, as you heard this thought to yourself, you know what, I really need a friend like Jonathan and David. Can I encourage you with this? Instead of saying, I need a friend like Jonathan and David, be the friend like Jonathan and David. Be that friend towards others because God has already loved you with that same type of love. You are fully loved so that you might fully love others. And you can ask them that question then. How can I fully love you as I am fully loved by God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you fully and lavishly love us with an amazing, beautiful, unconditional chesed love. A love that gave up everything so that we might have it. And Lord, we're not always good with that love because there are many times where we seek self-protection first. We seek safety first. And yet we see in the story of David and Jonathan that amazing, beautiful love that says, not me, but you. So Lord, help us to know that we are fully loved so that we can fully love others and help us, encourage us, inspire in us the willingness to go out to others our neighbors our coworkers our family and to ask them how can i fully love you as i'm fully loved by god and then help us to see the world change through it we pray this in jesus name amen